This is a new podcast series called Clarity Generates Confidence. Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. I'm delighted to have with me a gentleman I haven't known all that long at this point compared to others that I have known for quite a while, Richard Canfield. Uh, Richard is also part of the Strategic Coach Program, which those of you who've been on and listening to it know would hear a lot about, certainly been a big influence on my life. And uh, Richard was just in one of my more recent workshops, and he's involved with a company called Ascendant Financial, and just recently moved his family during this pandemic time from Toronto to the West Coast. Richard, welcome for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here, Gary. Thanks for uh, for uh, you know reaching out to 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 do this podcast, not just for connecting with me on it, but I think just in general, listening to a number of the episodes and some of the other wonderful folks you've had um, during you know pan- pandemic times. Uh, it's great to hear how entrepreneurs you know all over the globe that you've been speaking with are really finding ways. They're positive. They're upbeat about how they're tackling the unique challenges provided by the current environment. Well, it has been, you know, and it's been, I mean, I just got shivers as you're talking about that because, you know, I just think of doing what we need to do every day and put one foot in front of the other. But the people that have been on and the stories that we had, you know, no, not much different than what we had in the workshop that you were in a couple of weeks ago, just how resourceful everybody has been and what they've done, uh, I, I think are really uplifting and very motivating stories. And, and, you know, yeah, not to plug strategic coach too, too much, but I'm a, I'm a fairly recent, uh, you know, person involved in the, in the coach uh, mentorship and I, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying all the aspects of it. But one thing that I really resonate with is around the aspects of community. And I think some of the conversations I've heard on a number of your podcasts have been um, while you're seeking for clarity in your entrepreneurial journey during this kind of a time frame. Uh, there's community aspects that we are accustomed to having as human beings that we would normally get in that that very personal one-to-one relationship that because of the virtue of, you know, lockdowns, et cetera, uh, some, some, some maybe governing limitations, depending on where you you're located from a jurisdiction standpoint, um, we need to seek that type of community through other means. And that's where technologies like the, like the zooms and, uh, and so forth are really rising to the forefront and it's allowing people to create, uh, a connection. It's maybe not quite the same as being in person, but it's it's the closest fabrication to it that we can muster. And being a part of the the, the coach organization and seeing how you can have really in depth conversations with people all over the globe, connect you know eye to eye, one to one, see the you know importance of body language through that conversation. Uh, it, it's really fascinating to me how you can still get to know someone that you've you've never actually met in person before. Well. You know, you've you've seen it, you've experienced it firsthand. Once you do a lot of this, you do a lot of podcasts yourself, and 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 I compliment you for doing that and taking that outreach, which is so important. But also having been involved in in the workshops and seeing what it's like, and I agree with you that I, people say, "Well, I can't read the body language, I can't do this," and I go, "You know what? I don't agree with you because when I look at people, I can see that I can't see their whole body, uh, which you might be." before. But I thought, I find that the whole Zoom that's been really uh, thrust into the limelight for all of is really quite intimate. All of us are at the same level. All of us are at the same size. And I think the difference is you've got to be more intentional and it's more intense. Uh, I'm By the time I finish those workshops from nine o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm tired. Whereas I 
I certainly am tired by the time they finish at five or in person, but it's much different because you've got to pay attention differently. And, uh, but I think it's a great media for, for people to be able to connect with, given we can't get together the same way. Well, and it's interesting to see some of the accountability, you know, when if you're in a, if you're listening to this and you've, you're used to attending live type workshops or, or what have you, you know, there, you, you need breaks. Everyone's got to get up and have a stretch and have a break. And there's always this kind of song and dance of corralling people back from, you know, the, the break room or the lunch room or the coffee station and trying to get them back into their seats. Well, the same thing still applies on, you know, a group Zoom call, except that, you know, you can't be physically in that person's home to kind of crack a whip on them and get them back in front of their computer. So they have to really be accountable to that. And if they don't show up, then they're, they're going to miss out. And so I think that our internal, our internal mechanisms around what we might be missing out on, maybe that it, they rise up a little bit higher and it kind of gets us thinking, okay, I set a, a timer on my phone if I have to step away from the computer for a minute and we're in the middle of a session. So as soon as that thing goes off, I know, okay, I got to hustle back and get to get into the session because I'm gonna, I might miss something because I'm not in the room. I can't overhear it from a distance, a conversation taking place. Yeah, it's interesting when you say that if somebody gets up from their chair and goes off to the washroom or gets a cup of coffee or water, whatever it is, it's not nearly as noticeable if the screen is empty. (laughs) The chair is sitting there (laughs) and the screen is empty uh, when you're on a Zoom call. I hadn't thought about that, but it's noticeable. And I, I know for me, I, you just, if I'm the, if I'm the presenter or the, the coach that day, you're just on the, the whole time and uh, you've got to be there. So I'm careful when I, turn the, when I turn the camera back on again, I better be ready to go <laughs> because everything I do, every motion I have is going to be noticed. So, so uh, Richard, you know, it's interesting. Um, you talked about the contacting with people and I just uh, finished and probably podcast that'll come out just ahead of this one. If people have been listening with Chris Thompson, of student works and their business was all around uh, students going out, having a window cleaning and painting businesses and they got totally stopped for six weeks. And they thought, well, what's gonna happen to our business? Because they rely on person to person contact. And not only that, they, they would take the top 75 performers to Mexico. I said, we can't do that anymore. And so I was asking Chris what happened. And he said, you know, he said, yes, we had to do an awful lot of shifting and an awful lot of changing for that. But he said, once we could get back out, he said, all of our entrepreneurs, all of our young people wanted to get out and get going. And he said, we recognized we had to be six feet away, but people were home. So they knocked on the doors and then they'd step back the six or eight feet and people would be willing to engage in a conversation. They did, I don't know, 15, 20% more business this year than in previous years. Uh, and they found that they're their students that would go out, their entrepreneurs were, actually provided a very useful human service because they provided the human contact for people that didn't have. Um, how are you finding that in your world? Because now, you know, you moved, you're out West and how are you finding that with your clients? Are you able to replace some of that human contact with, uh, with what it is that you, with the way you connect with people and, and what's been the reaction to that? It's a very interesting question, and I love the story about how uh, that business was facing the potential of the, the threat of survival, and in a short period of time, it actually unintentionally, the, you know, the law of unintended consequences, the consequence was a positive one in that their business is actually more profitable because people are home. I mean, who, who would have ever considered that? And I think a lot of people in the renovation kind of category, people at home and they want to finally, they're, they're stuck at home and they're realizing how much things they want to change in their home. They're doing a lot of renovation work. Um, for me, I actually, 
I've, I'm kind of the antithesis of this a little bit because I, I started plotting long ago to create an environment for my business as an individual personally in the, in the financial advisory space that I would be able to operate in a virtual world. And so I've actually been intentional on operating, you know, through technologies like Zoom and, and there was, there's many of them out there and I've tried most of them, I think, throughout the time frame. Um, and so I've been meeting with clients all across the, the country of Canada and, and colleagues of mine down in the United States, you know, pretty regularly, you know, that's kind of my go-to day is actually on a Zoom call. And uh, although I do miss uh, the, the capacity to meet with people physically, you know, my ability to move uh, from, from the Edmonton, Alberta marketplace to, you know, near the lower mainland and in uh, Vancouver area really is derivative of the ability to have this technology working. And so even though the pandemic was going on, I mean, the move was happening regardless. And so I haven't really been in a lot of contact with certainly any clients or anything. And my travel has, has changed, but uh, business has actually grown and, and people are really, really excited about what it is that we do specifically in our niche and how we help people. And if anything, I would say that uh, we've, we've seen an increase in business um, because of the pandemic and, and just because of uncertainty, I think, in the global marketplace and, and how we provide a level of, uh, I think, security that uh, that's lacking. So, you know, I think the biggest thing that I'm missing personally would be just the joy of being in a physical environment, maybe teaching uh you know, an interactive kind of a kind of an, an event or a class with clients um, that we would typically host. And so I know that that'll, that'll come. I'm patient. I know that we'll get back to that stage. Um, but being able to conduct business in this virtual fashion, it is a, a very liberating um, method of going about your daily life where you can be completely functional and I can be, you know, three, three steps or 10 steps or 30 steps away from, um, you know, where I'm going to go have dinner with my family and I can step over here and, you know, be in a meeting with someone on the other side of the planet, having a great conversation, conducting business effectively and, and providing value without ever having to leave my home. Um, just the ability for us to do that as human beings in this, in this world, this environment, what an unbelievable scenario that we're, we're positioned in. And so, it's true that the pandemic has been, uh, you know, very difficult for many people. I, I personally haven't experienced it, I don't think, to the same light as many others. And so I'm very grateful and thankful for that. But the creativity, the ingenuity that's coming out from entrepreneurs, because, you know, entrepreneurship, the, 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 the core of a business owner is to solve problems for a problem that you have or you're solving a problem for other people, you're providing value to them. Generally, it all comes from the creativity of solving some kind of a problem. That's the, the mother of all invention, as they say. And so here we are faced with a global problem and we're seeing people come up with all kinds of incredible ideas on how they can totally shift their business the way that they provide value to others in a, in a new landscape. And uh, I'm just so grateful to see that happen because the idea of another entrepreneur that I hear about, it causes my brain to think, okay, that's really amazing what they've done there. I don't necessarily need to duplicate that, but there's a lesson in what they've done that, you know, perhaps I can share that lesson with one of my clients who's an entrepreneur with a similar business. And so we're still in that kind of global community where when, when you could take away some key component of how someone's achieved success through adversity. And then you can relate that message to someone else you think that can, can seek value from it. Um, there's just such a tremendous way that we can assist our, 
you know, our fellow uh, human beings on the planet by um, taking taking successes and wins that we see of others and making sure that we we share it appropriately so that everyone can rise. You know, there's a, one of my favorite sayings is that the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, the, the other, the, the corollary to that is um, when the tide goes out, you get to see you swimming naked. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and I, I, I use that, I, I know that, I think that's attributed to Warren Buffett. Well, the point is the tide's gone out for a lot of people and you're going to see now who, who is swimming naked, who was only being buoyed up by the, the rising tide and, and not their own not their own structure. So now that that tide's gone out, we get to see where the leadership really lies and, and, and who are the ones that are stepping up and who are the ones that uh, uh, are really just being, I think, carried along by the tide or by the current. Richard, I got a, a you know, it's been fascinating when you just talked about this and I was just thinking about my own situation because I would have said in January, there'd be really no way that we could do what we do. I have a physical business. We move products really from China through the US, Canada, Mexico, uh, industrial space, rubber and silicones. And, you know, we, we, we are, we're a physical business. But to see what we've been able to do, and in fact, even in the course of today, for example, I just uh, had Zoom calls with one of our major suppliers at, at eight o'clock this morning. Uh, I've got two more coming up. So not, this is the first time in 20 years I will not go to China and I, and I will miss, certainly miss not going. But the ability to be able to connect with all of these, all of our suppliers and have meaningful conversations you talked about has been incredible. A couple of weeks ago, we had a gentleman in the workshop from Moscow. It's the first time I've had someone come from Moscow. We had a, <clears throat> two clients who've been with me would fly to Toronto, came in from, were on the workshop from Dubai even, and to be on Toronto time and all the hours that are different, you know. And again, I just talked to people in, in China, in, in Beijing and, and um, in the more of the southern part of China. And just the ability to do that, and I'm going to do, do it in a day you know, or a couple of days. And we just wouldn't have had that capability for us. So yeah, I think if we're thinking the right way, there's lots of opportunity. Well, it's interesting to hear that, Gary, because uh, that also speaks to the types of connections that you've created in your business with, you know, people all across the globe who you've been doing business with. They want to maintain and continue that relationship. They, they want to um, create profitability and they're willing to do what's necessary regardless of a time zone to make that happen. So I think that that is also a telling uh, item in relation to the motivation that people have to, to incorporate whatever's necessary for us to keep business moving. Well, you know, it's also, it's, it's, it's also important upon us, coming back to another point you make, that we go and create value for the people that we want, want to create value for. It, it can be our families, it can be our team of people, it can be our clients. In this case, it was my suppliers. And, you know, I think this is really We've got to recognize that, particularly in the life of an entrepreneur, that we have to create value before there's any reward to come back to us. And so if we're waiting for somebody, if we're waiting for the, the future to happen, we're waiting for things to come in, it's not going to happen. We've got to go out and make that happen. And uh, we, we noticed that this morning when we said, hey, here, here's some information from a company, actually ITR Economics out of Texas, of the forecast, they say, like, get ready because of the end of the second quarter in 2021, this recession will be over, things will be turning around and the rebuild's going to happen in three years, not five years like it was back in 2008. So for us, physically things have to be made, they have to get moved, they have to get across the country. We've got to be six to nine months ahead or we'll miss the boat, so to speak. So we, had, we delivered a message to them in, in what might seem 
for them, they're back to normal. But for us, that we seem to still be in the bottom of the trough, that we have to get ready for the, the, the rising tide, as we've said. You know, the tide's gone out, now it's starting to come back in again. And uh, we don't want to be caught tied down to the bottom when that happens. Yeah, you, you definitely don't want an anchor uh, attached, <laughs> attached to you in any way when that takes place. Yeah. So, Richard, what do you see now for you? You just made the switch. You talked about coming into the lower mainland of BC. What do you see as trends within your world specifically? And how do you see that being different than, than others in, in your same space there, same business space? Well, really good question. And I mean, the, the, the uh, financial industry is, you know, it's a pretty wide paintbrush. And so within that, there's, you know, sub subgroupings and sub niches. You have investment specific advisors, people that focus on whether it's stocks and mutual funds, et cetera. You have people that work in an exempt market space. You have people who focus on insurance and then there's again, subcategories within that. That really kind of defines us more. So being in that, you know, kind of micro or ultra niche position, people tend to find you when they're looking for that specific item. And so, you know, what we do is we focus on uh, carrying forward the message of my mentor, who was a gentleman named Arne Nelson Nash. And unfortunately he passed away uh, coming up on two years. And I mean, he taught me so much about, about life in, in so many categories, but he really identified many years ago, he wrote a book called Becoming Your Own Banker. And in that he discusses uh, the, the process of understanding that, your need for financing throughout your lifetime is more is much higher than actually your need for say life insurance protection or whatever. And if you actually solve for that item instead, you would end up with so much of the other stuff that you wouldn't be able to get it past the insurance company. And so we really teach people about capital uh, capitalization, you know, building in a reservoir of capital in a safe liquid storage environment, so that when the things like the pandemic hit, you're in a position of capital to be able to move through the marketplace and make make strategic decisions. So if you're a business owner and you've got this capital allotment available to you that's liquid, it's in a safe environment, it's not at risk to the marketplace when it shifts, you're able to now, you know, take out, you know, maybe buy out the equipment of one of your competitors or or keep your employees on staff because they can't actually be working for a number of months because of the pandemic, et cetera. So many of our business owner clients have been very, very blessed beyond, you know, the definition of good fortune because they set that process up earlier on and they're in a position that when the pandemic hit, it's not that they weren't impacted. They absolutely, their business was that very impacted, but their ability to maintain their ability to make decisions with confidence um, have the ability to take time to create clarity in their business operation about what they needed to do, how they needed to either invest capital or hold back on capital, um, how they were, what key employees they needed to keep, all these different kinds of decisions that are required in the business structure. They were in a capital position of liquidity that wasn't impacted by the market risk to be able to do that very effectively. And so, you know, the, the, the signal there is that this environment we're in, although it's highly unique, cycles like this move their way through the globe on a regular basis. And, and those cycles and, the, and the, the highs and lows of them change and they're dramatic and the, and the time frame of them, I, I personally believe that we're going to see them, you know, these types of economic cycles happen at a, at a quicker pace just because of the, you know, some manipulation of interest rates, et cetera, that, that, people really need to be in a position where when, when the tide goes out again, they are ready to, to, to take extreme advantage of what's taking place. 
And so that's really part of what we focus on. And because it's a bit more of a niche market, again, because of the the pandemic scenario, many people were impacted financially, not just in their business, but in other aspects of their financial life. Whereas our clients didn't experience that same thing because they were well capitalized and they've been waiting for an opportunity like this to come about so that they could be able to make those strategic decisions. You know, and so we are, uh, you know, again, we're very blessed and we love being able to do that. And so as we move forward in the future, the key thing for us, I think, to be aware of is that once things start moving forward again, people, you know, they, they take the pressure comes off, people are breathing a sigh of relief. And then what happens is we tend to go back into old habits as, as human beings, we get conditioned and everything's going fine again. You know, we've, we've taken that, that large breath of fresh air, you know, it's easy to just pick back up and, and people not maybe watching their spending patterns. They're not in a position where they have uh, the liquidity that they need when the markets shift again. And so the really where I, I find that we need to be mindful as a business is how we're educating people today to make sure that they're prepared for the next time that something like this comes about. And there's a, there's a dramatic need for that, I believe, uh, globally. To- totally agree. In fact, if you do want to check out, I, you probably have other, a lot of economic sources, but ITR Economics out of uh, Texas gave, us, gave a presentation to an association meeting we're at, again, virtual one, which was kind of great. And they actually put up a chart, uh, which we have, and it shows the twenties, the they're called roaring twenties. And then they show the great depression of the thirties. And he says, this is what we think is going to happen. He said, as a matter of fact, what we've just shown you is the chart that took place in the 1900s, 1920 to 1930. And he said, there were actually three recessions in the, in the twenties of 19 to the 1900s um, with, with a bigger one at the beginning of it, even though that was called the roaring twenties with a even larger uh, drawdown and uh, quotes maybe even into a depression coming into 30s. So coming to your point, there are people that are predicting that this is uh, this can still happen again to us. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm you know I'm part of the backbone of uh, the concept that we teach is rooted in the Austrian economics mindset. And they you know Austrian economics they speak a great deal about the business cycle and how. The business cycle is, uh, you know, for lack of better terminology, we'll say, you know, can be a little bit manipulated through, you know, some of the uh, the the the, the governance governance that exists, especially when there's you know central banking that exists, and so the 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 adjustments and manipulation of interest rates it tends to give a business owner um, this idea, okay, well now we have a low interest rate environment, we can invest capital into something we otherwise wouldn't normally do. And so almost like a false investment happens and that creates the boom cycle that we see. But then sooner or later, the market has a shift. But because we've got this long-term project, when the rates adjust and they don't now meet the long-term project view, that's when you see then you know, businesses going bankrupt and stuff because they were, they were poorly capitalized. Um, the market shifts because of a they made a decision on the front end based on almost a false level of information. And so the, the business cycle is an interesting thing to, to, to delve into a little bit more. And that's where we find people, people looking at taking control over their financial environment when it comes to their financing decisions, whatever requires capital that we're going to do inventorying our business, uh, you know, paying your, your annual tax bill to the you know, IRS or the CRA, et cetera. These are things that you can have more efficiency over if you understand who's in control of the capital. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fascinating, interesting, and I have a couple of questions for you, but uh, Kim Lemon, who works with us and going on maternity leave, she's been helping us with the podcast here throughout. And so uh, Kim's just bought a home and uh, 
will be moving into home shortly after her second child is born here. And I said to Kim, what's, uh, what's your interest rate? She said, well, my mortgage broker has got me at 1.6%, uh, but she thinks it might go a little bit lower. So hang on. So I said, Kim, do you know what my interest rate when I first bought my home was, which was in 1981? It was 17%. And I go, and it was, it was that point forecast to go higher. I said, this is, you can borrow 10 times the amount of money that I borrowed back then in 1981, again, a number of years ago, and the cost would be the same. And of course, our salaries weren't nearly as high either. So talking about uh, inflated dollars. So I look at it and say, you talk about money. I mean, I, I don't like to borrow much. In fact, I'm fortunately in a position that I'm not, that we are debt-free both business-wise and personal-wise because I remember what it was like, what those costs were like. And I just don't want to be back there and be, be, be held and, and lose things as a result of not being able to have the cash flow. Well, you, and you make a very good point. And of course, the Toronto marketplace has experienced a, a rapid incline in property values. And so there's a direct correlation between the interest rate adjustment because when when you're able to borrow at a payment rate, because people focus on the payment that's there, well, that creates this spur of buying in the marketplace. And so that that leads to an escalation in the values of the property, whether there's warranted economic warrant to that being there or not. If the incomes aren't rising in in correlation to that, that's a pretty good sign that you might be getting into you know a, a tricky scenario, and so we saw that here in when I you know we we had a pretty excessive boom time in the Edmonton marketplace where I'm from, and uh, we saw that very dramatically, and it was a huge spike in, in in property values over about a two three year period of time, and then there was a a massive decline that happened almost instantaneously in you know the, around 2007 and it was leading up to the financial crisis meltdown it had had a little bit to do with oil prices or a variety of other things but it was this rapid you know kind of meteoric rise in values followed by the precipitous drop um, and everyone's seen a chart just like that and and it really hasn't fully recovered i don't think to this date and of course you know the alberta marketplace you know based on oil etc is still in a bit of an economic uh, downturn but uh so you, it's important to be mindful of that look around other places in the world where those kinds of things have happened previously and recognize what are the signals around when it happened because some of those signals will likely correlate to your market as well and just be mindful of it um, because we all need a we all need shelter we all need a home to live in um, and there's you know we just need to be mindful of where is that dollar that you're paying for it how much of that is is under your control you know so we, we focus a lot on control and mostly what we control is ourselves and how we interact with our own dollars and so if we provide more education around creating autonomy at that level, we're really focused on, you know, as an example, I just tell clients, look, I don't, I don't, I don't want your money. I don't ever want to see your money. I just want you to have more control over your own money. So we provide education around how to, how to really be in the driver's seat of your own financial condition. And we spend a lot of time educating around opportunity costs. And today in the pandemic world, I think opportunity cost discussions are more important than they've ever been because there's a direct uh, cost of decisions that we make, um, you know, good, bad, or otherwise. And when we go and part ways with capital that's sitting in our corporate bank account or our holding company or our personal bank account, and we're making a financial decision with that capital to, say, go buy a piece of equipment, the opportunity cost on that money is that when we exchange that out of our control and we hand it over to the control of another party, those particular dollars 
can never earn for us for the rest of our natural life. And it certainly can't earn multi-generational to the next generation either. So we talk about the multi-generational cost of opportunity on dollars and how there's ways that you can be able to harness that a little bit more effectively, but it's all about our thinking. And so one of the reasons I really resonate with the strategic coach model and some of the great lessons I've learned from Dan Sullivan is it's very thinking oriented and it's, it's our thoughts that determine our outcomes. And so if we spend more time internally thinking about asking ourselves the right questions, our actions tend to uh, correspond with the questions that we ask ourselves in our own brain. Yeah. You know, we won't go into this one, but I just, you reminded me of a couple of uh, uh, experiences I had earlier on in my career when I was involved in the tire recycling business. And we, we were involved in selling tire recycling units using liquid nitrogen. We were the only ones in the world that did that and uh, wanted to do a deal with Korea. And uh, so they said, well, can we get, can we get ED um, export development corporation financing? I said, well, we need to see your balance sheets. And they go, well, most of our assets are sitting there in, 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 in land and property and to the rest of the world, their properties were overvalued. So nowhere that no more could they leave her on. And even a worse situation was Japan. We were successful in settling a couple of units into Japan at that time. And, but Japan went through a complete deflationary uh, cycle. They bought a lot of properties in North America. They bought all at high prices, I guess, going back 20 plus years ago. And, and they've really wallowed financially for m- most of 20 years because they have never been able to recover from those inflated real estate prices and then have the liquidity to be able to, to still carry on their business and grow their economies. So uh, we got some, so, so to your point, and uh, I, won't, I won't ask you to comment on that, but if people who want to go look at it, we've got some models that aren't too far back in the past. We don't have to go back a hundred years to see those ones. So, Yeah, that's the thing. The, the, the past is a great teacher. It doesn't, it doesn't indicate um, and predict future performance, but we could take the lessons that we see and the cycle of history repeating itself and think, okay, what are the causal impacts that created this repeat? And are we mirroring or modeling any of those causal features right now that we need to be mindful of? So Richard, what would, as we're coming here to the end, what would you, what would you want to tell your, your business owners, your, the entrepreneurs you work with now as we're pulling out of the pandemic? I mean, if we believe the forecast and I do believe it, we're beginning to see a pickup in our business and we tend to be an early indicator so that by mid next year, 2021, this is late October when we're recording this podcast, what do you want to tell them to be ready for? I mean, you've given some good ideas with liquidity, but is there anything else that you would like to tell them and at the audience can even think about and prepare for? You know, I think uh, I would, I would suggest that uh, entrepreneurs listening to this really think about the questions that you're asking yourself internally. And then as you relate to your teams, whether you have an organization of two or 10 or 200, um, you have leaders in those teams. What questions are you asking them that's causing them to think differently about what the future holds? And so I think that questions, you know, I, I encourage everyone to develop a mentality of curious George, and so we, we have to think about the questions that we're asking ourselves. And Dan Sullivan does a great job in asking questions, you know, who, not how, as an example, is one that I particularly love. It's, I have it posted up on my wall. I look at it all every day. And how are you able to create leverage with the questions you're asking? And is there a question that you're asking yourself that's causing you to think differently where you're coming up with new ideas and solutions? If that's happening for you, 
wouldn't that be a question you want to share to your team and have your leaders start asking themselves that question? Get them involved in the idea generation process and that's going to that's going to help vault your business into an inflation protected environment. You know, how are you able to withstand the next the next transition that's going to take place because it will because you're asking yourself the right questions today. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate that comment. And, and I, I look at it in, in this way is that I always like to take these opportunities when the, when the world sort of is pulling back or things are slowing down to really invest in the future, not, not invest in such a way that I've, I've, I've created a detriment to the, to the cash flow or, or those dollars going away and never earning for us, but really to position for where we want to be next. And, and I always encourage people because this is the time when everybody, this is the sort of situations that everybody has time to work on something that's new and that's different and, and thinking about where the, what value they can bring, where they might not have had that opportunity to do before. So I really, I really appreciate what you've said and really encourage them to, uh, to do the same thing. So Richard, as we wrap this up, any final comments that you'd like to give? I really appreciate you being part of this today. So any final comments for our audience, please? Uh, I think the final thing I would say is, uh, you know, whatever's going on, don't ever stop investing in you. Um, you know, there's the, 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 the coaching and mentorship that's available. We all have mentors in our lives. Uh, consider the thing that's going on in the world and who's experienced downturns like this before. People, there's people that have had failures in those downturns and people that have been able to rebound and have successes. Reach out to them and inquire what was going on for them at that time. And if they could do something differently today in the same environment, what would they do differently? What might they do differently that they felt would have been even more successful or provided them an ability to either save their business or, or to elevate it even further? And then we can take a, a page out of history from that individual and we can bring them forward into time and we can get creative thoughts that you might not have ever experienced before because they've already gone through an environment similar to this. And so I think there's, there's a lesson that we can take away from that. We just don't know what it is yet because we haven't asked the question. Right. And also that people can take this opportunity to be more self-aware and, and, and question themselves. So awesome. Richard, thank you so much here today for being a part of this. I've enjoyed having you in the workshop. I look forward to seeing you again in a couple of months time when we're there. And thank you very much for being on this podcast. I'll be looking out for yours as well. And uh, so what, what are your podcasts, Richard? We never did say too much so that we can tell the audience what's that. Yeah. So my, uh, my colleague, my partner and co-host Jason Lowe and I, we operate a podcast uh, for Canadians. It's called Wealth Without Bay Street. We're available on all the primary podcast players. And we also do ours uh, with video as we were talking about earlier, Gary. So um, we're available on YouTube, uh, wealthwithoutbaystreet.com forward slash YouTube. Uh, just very recently, as at the time of this recording, we just launched a community for that group. Um, it's really focused on uh, business owners and entrepreneurs. I mean, primarily in the Canadian marketplace. Uh, just around, you know, coming up with new ideas and ways that they can learn from one another, have that online community uh, about how they can, they can find ways to create more wealth or preserve wealth um, without the risks associated with, uh, with Wall Street and Bay Street. Bay Street, of course, you'll be familiar, obviously, Gary, is the, is the Wall Street equivalent in Canada. Um, and uh, we have some colleagues and some friends of ours in the U.S. that have a similar podcast called Wealth Without Wall Street. So hence why we we asked permission to piggyback on the name and uh, cause it was also a little bit of fun for us. So we were having an absolute blast and it's the message has been very well received. Our existing clients love it. We're having a lot of people discover it and 
uh, just getting some tremendous feedback from people about how refreshing it is that um, there's something in the Canadian marketplace that's that's speaking to the things that we are. So, awesome. Well, Richard, thank you so much. I really appreciate your your fresh insights that you've provided uh, to to this podcast. As you say, we've been very fortunate to have a number of people from different parts of the world and all contributing their views. So, Richard, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, there, maybe we'll have the opportunity to do this again. So, thank you. You're welcome.